Do influencers really influence anything? And Adidas, unfriends Facebook. Maybe your brand should too. This is episode 83 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I am Tom A. Sacker. Tom, do influencers really influence anything? I don't know. You tell me. Well, I mean, look, they're called influencers, so that implies that they absolutely influence something, right? No, I don't know. I mean, whoever <laughs> created the term influencer is the smartest person alive because it says what it is and it implies things it doesn't necessarily Do. provide. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and this this is an article from Medium uh, by Eleanor Cohen. Um, and it's titled, It's Time to Address the Elephant in the Room, Influencers Don't Really Influence Anything or Anyone, which I think is not quite true, actually. Right. But um, let me read the opening to her piece, well, which I think Well, but listen, I think is- you chose this piece again because you think that there's a conspiracy. Like, this is an example of people orchestrating something to gain attention for everyone, maybe even for her. That's what I think. Oh, I, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, at the at the root of all controversy is a grab for publicity. That's it. There's no question about that, and this is no exception. So, I mean, anytime you have elephant in the room in the title, you know you're trying to provoke some attention. <laughs> Earlier this week, a major shitstorm hit the Internet when a boutique hotel owner posted a screenshot of an email he received from a travel blogger and, quote, influencer asking for a free stay in return for, quote, coverage and promotion to her 80,000 followers. He posted a very sarcastic and direct reply, rejecting the request. He did not name the blogger and even hid her details from the screenshot, yet somehow it blew out of proportions with the blogger getting shamed and outed <laughs> and posting a viral video that only made things worse. She, say, she goes on, I can go into many details about what's, what's wrong with the way she approached the hotel, the mistakes both parties made, and about the things that are actually awesome about the party's behavior. Behavior. In fact, to me, it appears like, here's to your point, like a well-orchestrated crisis that benefits all from the virality of the matter. However, this is neither the time nor place for an influencer outreach how-to post. This post is about something else. It's about the very concept of influence and the fundamental difference between influence and thought leadership. And there, Tom, is where it starts sliding the slippery slope downhill. (laughs) Because that leads to the question, well, wait a minute. What, thought leadership, what's the difference between being an influencer and being a thought leader? Well, her point is an influencer is all about numbers, number of followers, which can be easily faked. Um, thought leadership is all about genuine value for followers, which by premise is a smaller number of people than you get from simply being an influencer. So here's why I'm befuddled by this. <laughs> because on the one hand, Yes, this is a controversy that helps all involved, including this writer. At the same time, she is diminishing the importance of influencers because she claims that there's no proof of their influence. All they have are all these followers, and followers can be easily faked. So at the end of the day, you know, where's the, where's the meat? At the same time, she crows about the value of, of thought leaders, which, of course, she considers herself to be. And thought leaders, she implies, have fewer followers. <laughs> but yet are more valuable because they are more trustworthy and they're creating more, you know, authentic quote unquote value for the, for the, for the audience. 
So, and I, I was just processing all this, and I thought, oh, Tom's going to have some <laughs> great takeaways on this. First, look, let's start with her qualitative judgment of an influencer, which, which is erroneous, right. by the way. She says the more people the influencer can reach, read the more followers they have, the better, stronger, and more of an influence he or she has. Now, I'm thinking back to like when I was in high school and there were some like real clowns and these people could draw in huge crowds, but mm -hmm. they didn't have any influence on anyone other than a lesson for like what not to do and what not to say. So are you talking about literal people who are dressed as clowns? No, <laughs> I just want to be sure. Cause I had a friend who was a professional clown and you're right. He had no influence on <laughs> other than on other clowns, but no, what's, she's emphasizing this you know, this quality, real followers, right? People who are genuinely interested in the content you offer. But right. look, here's the rub. Again, assuming that the followers are real. Let's just do that for a minute and say, okay, they're real people. They're not bots. Because we talked about that mm -hmm. a bunch of times. Yes, we did. So what exactly does exposure to your brand get you? Because she mm -hmm. writes that the promise of exposure, while very much alluring, has to be carefully checked, monitored, and measured. Okay, who, who's doing this? How? How? Remember, many large consumer brands, and this is what's driving all this advertising on the internet, they still believe, they're big believers in this mere, mere exposure effect. Right. right. That people like and will therefore buy things they're familiar with. That's how politicians get elected, by plastering signs all over the place. Right, right. Right. As soon as somebody stops thinking this, when that psychological construct finally falls out of favor with marketers, that's when everything is going to change because they're going to say, so what? So what? Somebody saw this? Big deal. Tell me how it's actually moving the needle. Do you see what, do you well, see what I mean? And, and, yes, and, I do see what you mean, but, but I, I see some more nuance there. For example... There still is a degree to which mere exposure results in delightful outcomes. You know, for example, is Kanye uh, a thought leader or an influencer? Well, based on his numbers, because they're so great, you would say he's an influencer. And yet when Kanye turns out to be pro-Donald Trump, it works, right? He actually sells Trump to an African-American audience, according to some survey. So in that case, the ROI is positive based purely on exposure, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is where the article gets interesting is this idea of thought leadership. So let's, let's go with that for a second. And then we'll come back around to something she said that I want you to explain to me regarding okay. affiliate links, because I, I got lost on that part. No. So this idea of thought leadership, what the hell is a thought leader? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's someone who was one of the first to think something. <laughs> and no one wants to listen to that person. Not until <laughs> that thought has been proven safe by the masses. But then what happens? That's, listen. That's not what she means, well, though. she doesn't know what she means. I'm going to tell you, once you're, when you're a thought leader, it's like nobody, oh, no, forget it. The internet? No. I mean, the first guy that said the internet, no, oh, no. You know, it's, this guy's going to sell books on the internet? Oh, no. That's a thought leader. Nobody believes any of it. And then what happens to the thought leader when the masses now look at something and they go, geez, this, is, this makes sense? 
then the thought leader becomes completely overshadowed and made irrelevant by what I call the masters of appropriation. Those are the influencers. Mm. And it's because of how our brains are wired. Because instead of relying on experts, people end up paying closest attention to the most extroverted person, the one who talks mm -hmm. most frequently, hey, Kanye, the person who appears more impressive. It's a mental mm -hmm. shortcut. It's a cognitive bias. And guess what? These internet influencers are gaming that bias. That's the real mm -hmm. elephant in the room. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That may, And she's totally missing that, number one. And what she's also, I think, the, to me, the, how it boils down is an influencer versus a thought leader to the outside, and based on this article, is merely a reflection of the number of followers. A thought leader is an influencer without as much influence. This is what I mean. <laughs> an influencer is a thought leader with more followers. Because otherwise, it just feels to me like an excuse. And furthermore, if we're going to talk about those followers being, you know, lightly held or there for the wrong reason or uh, transactional or whatever, isn't that what big media is? I mean, what is any attention? What is network TV attention? But that kind of a fringe, uh, frictional, um, transactional level of exposure but yet massive, right? Yeah, look, it, it, what's upsetting her and, and everyone else that writes these types of articles, and I understand it, is that the Internet has basically allowed people to sit at their desk, Google subject matters, collect mm -hmm. all kinds of data, whether it's pulling it off of articles, books, whatever, repurpose it all, and then write mm -hmm. your own article, acting like you're some kind of expert. Right. This is happening everywhere. Listen, if the internet were around back in the days when Goethe and all these other philosophers were writing, they'd be nobodies today because, <laughs> because they would have put their stuff online. People would have stole it all, repurposed it into little books, little pithy little things, because people would have said, yeah, that Nietzsche guy, I don't understand him, but this Bob Jones guy, he really writes a hell of an article. <laughs> That's what would have happened. That's what's going on. That's a good point. I think that, <laughs> Look at I that. mean, no, I think. But, but what are you going to do about it? You can't well, do anything. Well, that's why this article is one big primal scream. Of course. That's what this is. And I, you, you never, this is what we were talking about last week. It's funny. Just the other night, you know, last week, our, our, our last time our topic was, you know, what is truth? There is no truth. Facts don't matter anymore, right? <laughs> and this week, every night, dinner time, we pop on Judge Judy. And as I'm watching Judge Judy, I said to my wife, I said, look at all these people. Judge Judy makes a point. No matter what her point is, the person who's losing the case disagrees with their point. No matter what the point is, no matter the veracity of the point, she can't be swayed. And I said, this is what's going on now. People believe what they believe. They believe what they're going to believe. You can't change their mind. You're just talking into the wind. And that's what we're seeing on the political stage. That's what we're seeing in the consumer marketplace. And that's what this article is. Yep. Yep. And listen, we've been talking about this for 82 episodes that, <laughs> that this is coming, that you need to get a handle on it. You need to understand how it works. You can't just put your head in the ground. Not if you want to stay relevant. That's right. right. That's right. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asecker and Mark Ramsey. Adidas unfriends Facebook. Maybe your brand should too, Tom. <laughs> 
So this is from a piece in Digiday. I found this kind of be, to be interesting and aspects of it really funny. So Adidas is questioning its spending on Facebook. Okay, Mark. Mark. Uh, yes. Before you get going, I've got to clear this Here we all go. up. Go ahead. It's Adidas. What do you mean? I'm pronouncing it yeah, wrong? Yeah, because look, this is from the founder's name, Adolf Dassler. His nickname for Adolf was Adi. And he, yeah. and he used Das instead of, you know, instead of Adi Dassler, he called it Adi Das. So you have to call it Adidas, not Adidas. Oh, dear. Okay. And, and also what for our of- listeners, it is not an acronym for all day I dream about sex. I mean, it makes for a better story. <laughs> and I know that's what marketing is all about, but that's all made up too. All of a sudden I want the shoes. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for that. All right. um, I, I appreciate I that. Now all those call- emails coming in from the seven listeners, you know. <laughs> yes. Now I'm now I'm hesitant even to mention the name and the rest of the article. So that company's media team stopped buying video ads on Facebook and is reviewing whether to cut spending there due to concerns that people aren't regularly viewing its ads there. Imagine that. This is my favorite part of the article, by the way. <laughs> According to three separate agency executives, and here it comes. Speaking on condition of anonymity, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want anyone, to, three separate people, we will only tell you that they think they're wasting their money if you don't reveal our identity, three separate people say. Up to 30% of what this company spends on Facebook could be wasted, said one of the executives who works with their media team, which completed recently an internal audit of their spending on the social network. They're not happy with what's happening to their money, said (laughs) the executive. Facebook, of course, didn't comment. Viewability and retention rates for those ads aren't high enough, said another. There were instances last year, for example, when only 22% of an advertiser's videos were played in view. Um, that's, I think what that means, in other words, Tom, is that it plays, but you're not actually looking at it play. So when you see a play registered, you're not actually seeing a person. You're not even seeing it on the person's screen necessarily. It's just playing somewhere out in the cyberspace. It's playing. I know. This is all shocking. Look, I'm going to let you in on something, but I have to stay anonymous on this. All right. So. Okay. Yeah. Go uh, ahead. I won't tell anybody. And so. Oh, and, and, and it was, yeah, so it's shocking that not everybody's watching these videos on Facebook. Oh, and it's shocking that Facebook doesn't share a lot of data with these guys. Oh, that's shocking, too. So I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you this, and, and I'm going to describe a conversation. I'm going to do it in a vague way so I don't get sued. Years ago, I was consulting with a major media brand. And during mm-hmm. one of my visits, and like I'm, now I'm observing their consumers, okay? I said to the executive for the company who's standing next to me, I said, look, I've been watching these people for hours. I don't really see them engaging with the advertising on your platform. Hmm. Mark, you would have thought I disparaged this guy's mother or something. He turned, he looked at me, and he said, I never want to hear that from you ever again. (laughs) I swear swear to you. I quit right after that visit, but... But that's what's going on. It's like, I said, nobody's watching these things. He goes, I never want to hear you say That's such a great quote. Wow, I love that. It's true. You just complicated my life in an unpleasant yeah, fashion, exactly. and that's not what I'm paying for. I don't for. hire you for that. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> 
In a CMO Council survey of 233 senior marketers, 62% said reports of false metrics from Facebook have pushed them to pull back on spending on it, which, why wouldn't that be higher? <laughs> um, they're thinking, we'll do, or the company is thinking, we'll do something interesting beyond just running ads that people might want to skip past. Well, okay. That's good. They uh, have digital content like something called Tango Squad episodes. They're looking for platforms that can get that content in front of fans on a regular basis. Is why they're venturing into esports and looking to work with more influencers. Oh, here we go. And and sports publishers. The as I read that, Tom, the thought I had was, so in other words, because people don't want to watch your ads, you're blaming Facebook. Look. You can either spread what you have all over the place and deal with the fact that you're doing that, which means a lot of people aren't going to look at it, right? You can't mm -hmm. expect to go wide with, with these types of promotions and then say, hey, look, only 20% are watching it. Maybe that's good when you're spreading it wide like that. So, yeah, do you want to go narrow? Do you want to find out where are these sports fanatics how do we get people that they, you know, think are influencers to want to wear the same shoes that they're wearing? That's what they should be looking at. Whether mm -hmm. Adidas is being worn by the NBA and the NFL and every MMA and whoever else people are really trying to emulate. That's how you make this connection and make this thing work. Tom, if people are going to pronounce it that way, nobody's going to buy the shoes. <laughs> I mean, I'm afraid to say it. How am I going to go into a <laughs> sports authority and ask for They'll it? They'll say, what are you, you know? looking for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, exactly what they'll do. So I, I, this goes back to the same thing we've talked about before, which is I think it has to do with Facebook creates this expectation that you're going to get all these views. The video is so wonderful. The video is the way to get organic exposure on Facebook such that people actually see it. And then people go in, and the number of views that are reported on the video are significantly higher than the number of views that can be proven to exist. And people feel like they've been sold a bill of goods. I mean, completely understandable, by the way. It's just that the harder you try and get away from this noise and this, and this dirt and this, uh, um, this waste, the more you realize we're back where John Wanamaker was 150 years ago, right? Yeah, but what kills me, look, these marketers... They also use Facebook. So mm -hmm. aren't they, while they're scrolling through Facebook, aren't they skipping videos left and right? No, no marketer behavior. No, no, they Look, watch everything. You just told me an anecdote. You just told me an anecdote that proves it. <laughs> <laughs> that guy from that major brand loves the marketing that he does and thinks every consumer connects to it because his wife lied to him and told him that they yeah, do. Yeah, we all watch our <laughs> own videos. I get that. <laughs> Listen... This is the, you see this pop up in podcasting all the time, which is people say, well, why can't I get, you know, how do I get my podcast more popular? Well, <laughs> you know, this is not a puzzle for you to puzzle out. Sometimes it's just a function of the fact that people aren't interested in your podcast, you know, there it is. when there's a million of them out there, you, some are going to slip through the cracks. Yep. It's going to happen. It's just inevitable. So. All right, Tom, it's time for Rants and Raves. Oh, that's all we've been doing is ranting and raving. All right, so this I is know, a, so true. I guess we'll call this a rant rave because it's two pieces of corporate news that are so glaringly, I don't even know, inverse, obverse, whatever verse you want to sing, right? The first one is this. Best Buy 
has a new logo. You heard this? No, oh, no, no. Oh. Well, I mean, having is Amazon in no. it? Is <laughs> Amazon actually in the logo? <laughs> Having been behind the scenes at many of these, you know, highly creative game changing <laughs> initiatives, I'm guessing these people spent well over six figures, many, many, many months working on this logo. And you know what the change mm. is? They made that little what? yellow shopping tag smaller. So instead of Best well, Buy being inside the yellow tag, it's kind of mm. hanging off of them. And I guess it's because like brick and mortar retailing is going extinct. So they got to make that little tag smaller and smaller. <laughs> now, accor that, according to them, the yeah. rebranding is, here, we, here it comes. You know how much I love this. Designed yeah. to highlight our culture, our expertise, oh and our talented employees. According to USA Today, the logo change is accompanied by a subtle website refresh in a new ad campaign, <laughs> as the company looks to reposition itself from simply a place to buy electronics to more of an experience. Okay, that's that. It's an, it's an experience, all right, an experience in line. So that's that. That's <laughs> one bit of corporate news. And then there's this opposite bit of news. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw Disney's recent earnings, but they got a huge I did not, no. bump from Black Panther, right? right? So this blockbuster, pun intended, superhero film mm -hmm. could account for up to 10% of Disney's last quarter's profits. Wow. Profits. Now, on top of that, they've got Avengers Infinity War. That made more than a mm -hmm. billion dollars in just 11 days. And they've got the solo Star Wars story that's going to bump it up even more. So look, here's how I look at this. So you can either change the Blockbuster logo or create Blockbuster value. The choice is yours. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I see you're tying these two things together very cleverly. No, it just kind of happened that way. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it, 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 it is interesting. First of all, I have to wonder on the, on the Blockbuster thing, what in the world does it take to get into USA Today nowadays? I mean, <laughs> I, listen, I don't know. Do they open all their mail and just publish it as is? I, I don't know why that's, that's news. I mean, it, why is that news? Is my point. I mean, who, who in the real world? I don't care if you're on the business pages. Who cares about that? That's intended to influence consumers barely. Mike, and I, could be a anyway, pay for play I, thing, Mark. <laughs> it could be. A, you're absolutely right. That could be branded content. You're yep. right. The the second thing, and we you know we've talked about Disney and Marvel and by association Lucasfilm uh, before. Um, it, how really remarkable that is. And let's remember that Marvel was almost out of business, not that many years ago, with all these assets that, for the most part. Um, Nobody wanted. I mean, nobody believed that there was a movie to be made out of Iron Man. Iron Man, to say nothing of Black Panther. Forget Black Panther. No one believed there were movies to be made out of this these assets. Most of them were perceived as value-less. Spider-Man was the only one, and that one was over at Sony. Um, and only recently, um, I think, has the strategy really become so crystal clear and the ability to weave all these things in, uh, throughout the so-called Marvel Universe, um, I think they're finally getting it now. And they're doing the same, obviously, on the Star Wars side. They're recognizing that, that essentially a movie 
is really a, the, the, a massively budgeted episode of a TV series and that every new movie is part of that same series as long as it's part of the same universe. I mean, we used to refer to it as series. Now it's called universe, but it's the same concept. Yep. And look at how valuable it is for them. You're absolutely look, they right. Figured, they figured out a formula. What they did is they, is they got it inventive. They, they became innovative, creative. They did something, and then they looked at it and said, what the hell just happened? And then they tweaked it, and they did something again. And then they saw a formula. They said, oh, my goodness. If we take these assets, we tap into the cultural zeitgeist, weave right. all of that stuff into these stories, we can blow this thing up. That's right. And I, I think, you know, clearly, I don't remember the price it was bought for, but it's clearly a bargain uh, in retrospect, as was Lucasfilm a bargain in retrospect. And um, it just wasn't, people weren't thinking that way. And you're right. They didn't know what they had when they got it. They knew they had some existing assets that were powerful and compelling and popular. They knew they could create more like it, but they certainly didn't know that it was going to be the gift that keeps on giving no. for the foreseeable future, which clearly it right. is. All right. I've got a couple. Uh, first, um, uh, this is the funny one. Oh. Um, this is from Taxi, and the article is, Newspaper's wet-looking ad is so effective it dries up demand. Oh, boy, they're better than you at these headlines now. I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> um, so apparently they had a uh, – there was a plumber, um, and the plumber did a wraparound for a paper in the U.K. Uh, uh, and uh, let's see. Need a plumber pronto. Fixing – from fitting taps to fixing fuse boxes, there's a local hero for that. So it's a, it's a company owned by British Gas in the U.K. And it was a wraparound for a newspaper there. Um, so that means it's – you know, you know a wraparound to the front of a newspaper, right. right? It's on the front of every newspaper. It's not the front page, but it's a wraparound to the front of the newspaper. And the ad that said, need a plumber pronto, had a wet look print to it. So it looked like it was wet. So what happened was nobody bought the paper <laughs> <laughs> because the papers were all wet. So <laughs> oh, man. So, which... <clears throat> certainly defeats the purpose of the advertiser, not to mention the publisher. And then the title of the piece, I have to go back to. Newspaper's wet-looking ad is so effective it dries up demand. <laughs> Tom, isn't that the opposite of effective? <laughs> when it dries up demand, I get the pun, but if it's not effective at all, if you don't buy the newspaper and thus are not likely to be positively influenced by the demand, if the big wet spot was more powerful than the ad itself or the contents of the newspaper, it's just fascinating. So that's it number one. It sounds like it should be an onion, not taxi. It is. It is onion looking. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one from taxi. And this one I'm sure you've heard of because everyone's heard of this, but it's uh, this past week, Google had their conference. They debuted their AI assistant that behaves and sounds human-like. Did you see the video on nope. that? Is it good? Oh, yes. You have to go look at this. So essentially, they've got new technology. I think it's called uh, um, Google uh, Duplex is the new technology that's being worked into their Google Assistant um, app uh, across platforms. And uh, the effort is to make a digital assistant through AI as helpful and as smart as you want and need it to be so that it can actually do things for you. Uh, like, for example, calling a hair salon and setting up your hair appointment. And the demo in the video is outstanding because they essentially have 
the uh, Google duplex calling um, uh, calling a hair salon, a real person at a hair salon, and setting up an appointment and dealing with all the vagaries of the interchange and you know the the Google duplex sounds like a human being, not like a computer. The Google duplex will do ums and 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 ahs and likes and have quirks of speech <laughs> like a human being would. And amazingly, and I think this was for, they, they did also, the video also has a, I think it's a Chinese restaurant or something. They were making <laughs> reservations. And I got to tell you, the person at the restaurant just was clueless about the inst- what she was being asked to do in terms of the reservation. Yet the Google duplex was totally <laughs> on point. And every quirky, weird, human bizarre response was met with a thoughtful, helpful, directional uh, response from Google AI, which in fact was about a thousand times smarter than the human being on the other end of the phone. <laughs> so it's really amazing. And why? not only because uh, how impressive the technology is compared to the utterly inept human. Siri, Siri oh. on your, your, uh, your iPhone, um, but also because of what it says about how audio is going to be part of our lives going forward. I mean, as you know, there's so much fuss about intelligent assistance, so much fuss about Alexis and Google Homes and so on, that I think what people are missing in the zeal to say, hey, uh, Alexa, you know, how old is George Clooney, is the idea that the technology is very quickly evolving to the point where you can say, Hey, uh, Alexa, call the following restaurant and set up a reservation for five people at this time on this day. Um, and you can actually get it done. And the assistant will make that call for you and do all that work for you and get back to you with, uh, with an appointment in your calendar. That's the power of audio. Right. The power of audio is not that I can get my radio station on my Alexa or that I can get my podcast on my Alexa or that I can ask trivia questions of my Alexa. The power of audio is that you can go about your life and about your business doing whatever it is you want to do and have this, you know, intelligent assistant help you meaningfully and productively. Does that make sense? Listen, these devices are learning like crazy. People don't realize that. They're learning. That's, that's, they didn't have all this information to be able to parse out. It's just like a child. Right, mm-hmm. so AI starts. It's a baby. It goes goo goo gaga, and then uh, you know, a year later, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. That's the next thing that comes out of their mouth. So, <laughs> well, that's yes, that's every <laughs> that's every futuristic dystopian movie we've ever seen. It's coming. I know, I know, it's coming. Well, I don't know what episode we'll be on uh, of Media Unplugged by then, but probably we won't be doing it. AI will be well, doing it. AI is going to be doing my part for sure, and I hope AI is going to be doing your part. All right, that's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at Art19, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. And oh, by the way, Tom, I just discovered this past week that we're still on Podcast One. Oh, good. I didn't know that. I mean, it's shocking. Uh, we have no agreement with Podcast One, and there we are. Well, why are you announcing uh, Still that? on Podcast One. I, you're right. I shouldn't. I shouldn't <laughs> well, give them any credit. they're not listening anyway if we're still on there. No, they're not. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. And it's pronounced Adidas, by there the way. There you go. 
Send your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. <laughs> if there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes at our website, which is working this week, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him, and as well you should, at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening. <laughs>